Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're exploring the deep, dark depths of Black Salt Games Dredge, in which the player commands a fishing boat and charts a course for the aquatic life that the archipelago has in store for them. Catch sea life, upgrade your boat, and experience the horrors that await sailors at night. So I recently wrote about this for Dread XP for my column, Monster Mania, and kind of just mm. talking about the different bestiary that this game has and the fact that, you know, on paper, it's very simplistic sounding in that it's like, oh, you know, it's a game where you can fish and you find all the sort of typical trappings of aquatic life. You've got your carp, your eels, your bass, your squids, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, but then I really highlighted in that column of mine the fact that this game has what are called like aberrations, which are basically mutated mm -hmm. fish, right? Which have some basis in real life. Um, you know, the idea that people are uh, out fishing and dredging the deep, uh, deep, far reaches of the ocean and whatnot. And they yeah. come across oddities and these things. And, you know, in dredge, they take that a step further, right? And that's where the maritime sort of Cthulhu uh, influence comes in with this game. And the reason that I bring that up to start our conversation is that I got a comment on my article and it was along the sentiment that I've seen with this game, particularly and the fact that mm. a lot of people are curious, like saying things like, is this horror? Should this be classified as a horror game? And while you and I, of course, are going to be of the opinion that, you know, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, whether that be considered traditional horror or something that is adjacent to horror, um, I was really taken with this game and it bridging the gap between something that is very approachable for horror fans. Um, but at the same time, it's a game that I think is an easy sell for people that might not have any interest in horror. Um, and it's not this type of experience that is, you know, leading with the horror aspect of it. But I think the mm. more comfortable people become with the mechanics of this game and just the overall sort of routine of dredge, um, those horror aspects kind of, make a new game almost in and of itself at times, just with the mm. sort of ebb and flow the dredge takes. Yeah, it's not front-loaded with it. You know, there's a bit of ominous dread, as you will, and you get that, but it, it escalates, you know, and yeah, sure, you play an hour of it, you probably wouldn't think it was very horror. It has, like, horror tendencies. So only this week I had that sort of normal idea of someone saying, well, that's not really horror about something. I mean, almost immediately want to jump and go, actually, it is because of this, this, <laughs> yeah. this. And it was about Boulder's Gate. And it's like, well, it has, it's about fucking mind players. So, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like and, uh, and it's got body horror and all this. But I digress. It's one of those things that I, I get it, you know, when people don't really see horror and we know why certain people will say that something isn't horror. Um, but, you know, it's more traditionally cosmic horror-like in... in what it does than most attempts, you know. It's not really going for the obvious whilst kind of tapping into a lot of the obvious things, you know, about your sanity, you know, what's out there, you know, be afraid of the dark, what things lurk where we shouldn't see them and that. But, you know, the ocean is a good sort of way of doing that as well because, you know, a lot of that sort of Lovecraft stuff comes with the ocean being, you know, a key component of it and fishing towns and all that. So, in a way, yes, very much more traditionally like you know, Lovecraft's idea of cosmic horror, but done in a way that feels like its own thing. You know? And 
I think the, the way it escalates is really smart, you know, and to be honest, by the end, you can't deny that it is a horror game. You know, it's unsettling, it's upsetting, and, you know, if you have that thing about the ocean and it being deep and fucking terrifying that there could be anything down there. You know, like that, that's, it's the kind of game that confirms that, you know, so personal horror, you know, in that sense as well. And I mean, that, that's what horror is when you really come down to it. It's not about, it's not because each thing is not going to scare every person, but everyone's going to have something that scares them. And uh, there's a lot of that here. Well, I started my column uh, last week or this week by saying like, you know, everybody was all up in arms about the UFO hearings and whatnot and the confirmation of aliens. And I was like, there's plenty of aliens on this planet and they just happen to live, uh, you know, beneath the water and whatnot. I mean, the ocean yeah. is one of those things that is not nearly as uh, charted as people realize. Um, mm. And so the idea that like there couldn't be anything living down there, like that's always been terrifying. And, you know, you and I on the show plenty of times have talked about how, you know, just the dark depths of the ocean has always been something that's scary. But, you know, I bring up the fact that I had heard that sentiment from someone like, oh, is this horror? It doesn't really seem like horror because I think that that is really integral to what makes Dredge kind of a smash indie hit of the year, I would say. Not only mm. just from a horror standpoint, but just indie games in general. Um, and I would say that, if anything, it feels very much akin to like the horror equivalent of uh, Stardew Valley in a way. Yeah. Because it has that sort of routine that it embeds the player in and that, you know, you have this occupation you have a means of exploration to a certain degree, maybe less so in uh, Stardew Valley, but more so in Dredge, where you have to go out and you have to start to master small pockets of the archipelago. You have to get yeah. into this routine of going out and catching fish or just dredging for certain resources and whatnot. And then you basically get to start your own sort of like metagame of, okay, I'm building towards this upgrade or I'm building towards that different type of relationship that's set in a different part of the archipelago yeah. and you know as we kind of said the way in which the horror escalates is indicative of not only smart pacing for horror but i think overall you know when it comes particularly to maritime horror and that you know whether it's a novel or whether it's a, a film you know the best maritime horror i feel starts to craft the idea that there could be something out there but not confirming yeah. until like a certain point right um, you think about something like The Lighthouse, right? Robert Edgar's film where yeah. it could be the type of thing where it's like some people maybe have a reading of, oh, there's no supernatural stuff in that film. It's all, you know, madness or mania, or perhaps there really is that influence there and everything you see, you should take at face value. And I thought that Dredge did something similar in the sense that, you know, it starts to warn you about not going out at night. It doesn't elaborate on that. Mm. And then slowly through your exploration of the archipelago, you start to come across these like notes in a bottle that could yeah. be, you know, they run the gamut of, you know, somebody's experience, whether it was them getting shipwrecked, whether it was them coming across a strange type of fish or allusions to like something much more ominous out in the ocean. Yeah. And I was really impressed with the fact that this developer that, you know, I don't believe they have a great deal of games in their catalog previously. And the fact that they don't front load with the horror, um, mm -hmm. I thought that that was really smart because then you would have a game that ultimately would probably only appeal to, for the most part, you know, genre fans, right? People that are yeah. looking for the monsters. They're looking for that tentacle beast that they want to encounter within the first, you know, hour or two of the game. And for something like this that 
really does kind of strip away the genre aspects and just plops you into this world with these mechanics. And then the more comfortable you become with those mechanics and you get into your routine, then the horror becomes more apparent. And the way in which that's paired with, you know, the rate at which you can either upgrade your ship or overall just, you know, a comfortability with sort of the lay of the land, if you will, um, is just a really, really impressive um, aspect of this game. And more so, you know, it allows Dredge to be a game that I can come back to either with a specific objective in mind of like, okay, I want to explore this region. I want to push yeah. myself more. I want to go out at night and take these risks and hopefully find a reward at the other end of that risk. Or it's a game that I throw on for 30 minutes because I'm in between whatever meetings or something. And I'm like, oh, I'll just explore and I'll boost my, uh, you know, my, my money count, if you will. Yeah. Um, it kind of plays into that thing you get in some horror, which is the idea of something sort of Fred being there that you shouldn't pick at and you do and you start unraveling it and you know you will come to regret doing that to some degree you know it's a mystery in that sense and how many films have you seen where you know someone starts investigating some seemingly random thing and then starts building into something else and they get become obsessed with it and you know and it kind of draws the player into that idea of just being that person who's you know come here and everything's very ambiguous and you know, there's hints of something wrong and, you know, it get, those hints get larger and then there's another mystery that starts coming into it and you're like, mm, okay, I want to know what's going on about that, but to do that, I've got to do this, this and this. And you find yourself, the game kind of playing you in a way, you know, where it just, you know, manipulates you and does like, well, you know, you've got to do these game things to sort of unravel this plot like that. And, you know, that's why it perfectly executes horror that way. You know, it's, does do that it puts you in the shoes of like a a protagonist in any sort of novel film whatever where you are the person basically picking at that thread and pulling it and pulling it pulling it until you as i said regret that you ever did so and uh, i'm a huge fan of the fact that early on and i would say you know throughout the game there are not moments that you know, are triggered in terms of like cutscenes or something that impresses upon the player without a doubt that there is something greater yeah. out there. Um, the fact that there's relatively little um, sort of, I suppose, cost of death, right? Because you basically just immediately go back to your last save point mm. and you just, you know, return to um, the ocean and your exploration and whatnot. There's not like this grave uh, toll that comes with death unless, you know, you had a lot of valuable loot or something, but that in and of itself would end up sort of speaking to the fact that like, oh, maybe if you're going and you're exploring these new depths and you have all this valuable loot, you didn't realize like, okay, you have to cost, you have to weigh the cost of like venturing yeah. out into uncharted waters with, you know, a bunch of trophy catches or something like that. Yeah. But my point being that I'm really impressed with the fact that most of the time for the first time you actually die from something, if you venture out at night and you act careless, that is a very organic moment that is a very, mm. you know, I suppose the first few times, a very brutal lesson, but it's a lesson that imparts upon the player that, you know, if you're going to be venturing out at night, you best be, you know, you best keep your head on a swivel. And at the same time, there's something to the fact that like, if you're going to set out and you're either going to, you know, try to complete one of these objectives that you're given from various sea folk or, you know, uh, yeah. townsfolk, or if you just are looking to like build up cash so you can upgrade your boat or something along those lines, you know, you really do have to be thinking almost five or six hours ahead of where you're at. Cause that's a big aspect of dredge is that 
whenever you are moving or doing an activity, you have this real time that's playing and there's a day night cycle. And, you know, if you get caught at night, you don't just have to worry about the wildlife that's out there. Sometimes you have to worry about, you know, things such as shadows and fog. And then how many times did you crash into a rock or a mini island or something because you just, you know, were not thinking and either didn't have your light on or just in general. Oh, yeah. And they they also just appear like that as well, which is another sort of lovely little trick, isn't it? Um, Yeah, that's the early game, isn't it? Is it? It's basically telling you in every language to be cautious, be safe, you know, don't venture too far like that. But, you know, as I said, with the story, it's then trying to lure you out further and further and further and make you play the risk versus reward game. And like I said, you lose track of time once and you panic to get back to some sort of safety, you know, like that. And with all the things that can happen, you can panic. And even if the game doesn't throw anything at you like that, as you said, you can just crash because you were trying too quick to get somewhere too quickly like that. And yeah, that's um, good balance. Yeah. And when you think about, I think overall, sort of just the mechanics of Dredge, this is probably one of the most approachable games I've played in a while where I could very easily recommend this to, you know, my don't have a great deal of uh, friends that play horror games, but this is the type of game that the gameplay loop I find to be having that sort of same addicting quality that something like Stardew Valley does that as soon as somebody kind of gets into the trenches of this game, they get caught in that loop of like, okay, I'm going to go on one more, uh, you know, charting a course for this area, or I'm going to look for this specific type of fish or a trophy fish, or maybe I'll risk it and go out at night and try to find one of these aberrations or mutations that then ultimately will fetch a higher coin for my catch. And, you know, that is a very smart approach again with Dredge, I think, in that it's able to do those things and yet doesn't compromise on the horror aspect that is ever present. It's just to varying degrees of Mm -hmm. the experience, which again is there's, that's a level of restraint that I'm surprised by again with the developer that has not made a great deal of games, or this might even just be their debut title. Um, It is the type of thing that's very impressive to see a refinement from a gameplay aspect, but you don't see that really compromising the overall uh, sort of maritime horror of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, Definitely special in that regard. Yeah. But I suppose for you, what did you think about Dredge's, the sort of, I suppose, the freedom that you're given to chart your own course? Because I was expecting going into it that, and while there are mission objectives, they are far looser than typically, right? Typically, if you have a mission Mm. objective, it's like that is what you are doing and you may not deviate from that. And this game introduces you to the world the mechanics, it'll kick you a few mission objectives from interacting with different, you know, townsfolk and whatnot, but then the player is really left to their own devices. What did you yeah. think of that level of freedom? Yeah, I, I, it's not really celebrated enough, I think, but, you know, in all the other things that the game does well. Um, it does a very RPG thing of starting small and making it seem quite simple and then just slowly expanding what you can and should do. You know, like I said, there are consequences, of course, for going to the wrong place at the right time and all that. But it's good because you know it teaches you to you know, what you need. Sometimes you go somewhere, you can be curious to try it out, and you realize my boat's not fast enough for this area. It's not strong enough for this area. It doesn't have the right things for you know dredging. And yeah, that, that's 
fun in that sense because you can still do it. You still go there, find out, and maybe escape by the skin of your teeth. And it's like a little personal story anyway. Um, you know, I, I remember one of those ones where you get that sort of warning about something in like this sort of area near a port. And I went up there anyway because it had all the little fish. And then, you know, that, that big fish sort of shows up. Like that and music changes and like and I was just so at that point like I said one of those points where I was just so flummoxed and panicked to sort of get out at the moment and I realised the ship wasn't fast enough and yeah it just got turned into kindling very quickly it was um and that was you know a microcosm of what the game is always threatening you with isn't it it's like it's always there and uh, but your curiosity sort of draws you out to try and see what's new and see what's fresh so yeah you, know, you can spend like a few hours keeping fairly close, just getting the fish, coming back, doing it like that, you know, you know, to its credit, it doesn't go on to sort of push you too far. If you don't want to, you know, if you just want to do that for a few hours, do that like that. And I think since they updated as well, you can have a bit more freedom in doing things like that. But, you know, it does just give those little teases and little things you're like, what else can I do? How can I go and that's really when you see the game at its best, when you when you really just you know, venture out from that little cove and start exploring places and finding new stories and, you know, really getting on the hook, pun intended. And, um, yeah, it, it makes for a really compelling sort of freedom that you have. You could play it any way you want, if you want in that sense. You can just be, I'll fish around here, I'll have a nice quaint adventure, I'll get back by, I'll be a good boy and come back when the sun goes down and sort of stuff like that. And much of the early game is that, you know. Um, but yeah, but it does just do enough to make you go, well, maybe I should try a bit more and try to go a bit further afield. And, because you get used to what you can do. And you think, well, if I could go from here to here, if I get up early enough, you know, when you go to sleep and you you can wake up whenever, if I leave just now, you know, I'm only in the dark for a little bit and it'll just give me enough time to get to this point like that. And you have that map, of course, and everything's very vague in the best way because it's the sea. And it's like, there's no road, there's none of that shit. So you are just, you know, plotting the best sort of course for where you want to go because you don't really know the areas. Anything could be in between that, you know, like that. And you can get distracted by something as simple as like, oh, there's an interesting looking thing, you know, going on in the ocean here I could try and dredge it or like that and little decisions like that can veer you of course you know again curiosity being rewarded and punished in equal measure the whole way through yeah it's for a game that is you know fundamentally so small in scope in so many ways it is also you know, just so large it's, un it's surprisingly large it really does just sort of feel overwhelming at times you know like that and I think it gets that in there early, you know, straight away, just because that cove feels so cozy and small. And, you know, when you realise that you can travel quite far beyond it, it starts to feel like nothing. And you know, suddenly you are worried about having to be in the ocean for a long time. And, oh, you know, the fact that you, you don't leave your boat really, you know, the entire game, apart from like these little hubs where you are getting these menu interactions effectively. So, you know, it gives you a sort of helplessness to it all. You know, it's like you're in the boat, there's no escaping it. And even to be fair, even if you did, what would you escape to sort of thing? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I think the map and you know, the structure of the 
place helps that a lot. You know, it's free, but it's limiting in just the right ways, so that you're not being left to just get frustrated. That's the thing, man. With the size of this map and this world, it really is the perfect size. Because initially, I had that thing where I had when I tried playing The Witcher Three all those years ago, where you get out of the first zone and then the map peels back and all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, this is the biggest world I've ever seen. And just thinking about how long it takes to get to that point. And then you start doing the numbers game in your head of how long it's going to take you to conquer this mm -hmm. area. And then with a game such as this, you know, initially I was kind of like, oh man, there's a lot of ocean to master. And yet when you actually start to explore it, you realize like, okay, this world feels bigger because of the day night cycle. And the fact that you're playing that game of like how much time that do you have left before mm -hmm these waters go from being quite docile to quite hostile. And, you know, that really does make for an environment that takes a good while to kind of feel comfortable in, but in the yeah. best way possible, because I'm setting basically the limits. And, you know, you learn that through the, many of the anecdotes that I'm sure we both have of the first time you decided to go out and venture far further than you actually should have at a certain point, given the limitations mm. of your boat early on. And, you know, I found that, when I dive back into this game, if I go in and I just want to play for, you know, whatever, 30, 45 minutes or something, I started just going in random directions because more often than not, I was it was kind of twofold. I was not only charting a new course where I could learn where new sort of um, either fish or different wildlife would be sort of hanging out at and, you know, making a mental note of later if I need to, you know, find a squid or find an eel or find a shark or something, I can come back to this area. Yeah. But more importantly, you know, on the map, it's not labeled, but you do have the location of like ports or places of interest. And that in and of itself, you start to make your own mission objective sometimes where you're like, okay, mm. I don't necessarily want to go, you know, farm for this fish or go out at night and try to find this, this rare uh, mutation or finding this piece of, you know, drift specific driftwood or some kind of family crest that you have to hunt down for somebody. I just want to go in this direction and more often than not, that is rewarded from either a location or, you know, what we've been talking about, which is kind of throwing caution in the wind, taking yeah. a risk. And more often than not, you're getting a good story out of that, whether, you know, sometimes that might result in your boat being turned into kindling, as you said. But <laughs> I think more often than not, that in of itself is rewarding in a way. Um, yeah. You know, the first time that I went to an area that I had no business being in because, you know, I had this very basic boat. Um, I started to realize like the difference between um, you could see the shallows, you could still see the ocean floor. And then I got to a point where it was just kind of blackness, but I could see these tentacles that were <laughs> hanging out of the water. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Maybe there's something. And then immediately my boat got fucked up and got destroyed and I was back to square one. But, you know, that moment in and of itself is a very important teaching moment. But at the same time, it makes you excited for the next phase, or if anything, it pushed me and compelled me to keep grinding and keep farming certain areas for certain fish that could fetch me more coin. So that mm. way I could get to that upgrade that would let me further explore in, you know, maybe not a completely safe manner, uh, but somewhat of a safer manner, whether it was, you know, a better light or whether it was a new boat engine that would let me, you know, maneuver the waters faster. And getting that kind of sort of push or nudge to something greater, something just out of reach, doing yeah. that without having it be this, you know, struck mission structure or this sort of milestone, if you will, from a narrative standpoint, and just being from a purely 
a wonderment of my sort of curiosity of this world and more so from a gameplay standpoint, um, I found to be really, really rewarding and something that I would sort of compare to, I suppose, old school RPGs, right? Where mm. you're going out into this massive world and, you know, back in the day for certain RPGs, they wouldn't tell you you shouldn't be in this section by at this point in the early hours because you'd get killed like instantly, right? I'm thinking yeah. of like Morrowind or even, uh, you know, old school Fallout to a certain degree. Hmm. The game was just brutally punishing in that regard, but there was a lesson being learned from that. It wasn't just that, you know, this is just an insanely difficult area forever for the experience. It was more so like, hey, you need to take a step back and you need to build yourself up. And again, not having the traditional sort of, I suppose, narrative arc that then is tied to certain milestone rewards and whatnot. It's just, it's up to the player to almost craft their own story in that regard, yeah. what they want to prioritize. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I remember like reviewing it and then looking at other reviews afterwards and it being like this spread of, um, you know, there was a six, there's a sevens and whatever, but then you had your eights and your tens, whatever. And it was, I was always curious to see what it was that people were missing in the lower end scores. Yeah, a lot of criticism of like like the upgrades basically making things trivial by the end. And it's like, yeah, that's not particularly true. I think it makes it easier to do what you're doing. But I think, again, because it's so open, you have this with a lot of open world games, um, depending on the way people go into them, they might just be of the mind where they find an optimal path that takes them where they want to go and then they don't really see the whole picture. As a result, they are playing it like a game first, you know, like that and trying to just find the best way to cheese this or get through that or get the best of this and like that, which is understandable, yeah, especially if you work you know, in games media. I think you can get into that mindset very easily where you don't get to enjoy it because you're trying to mainline things games are a lot easier and that's that that can happen even when you don't mean to when you have time and i think dredge get yeah they gave a lot of time with dredge to be fair um so yeah i i get that but yeah i think it does also come into the idea of what mindset you have for games and how you deal with ambiguity how you deal with like that kind of freedom you know we get the, the thing you just talked about there about you know you can just go to certain areas and not know that you're not supposed to be there until you real it's the things in it that really make you realize like that and i think of the other side of that which is in modern sort of um ways of doing that say in assassin's creed in the sort of origins odyssey valhalla era and you have these big maps where you know they spell it out for you say this is a level blah blah to blah blah this is level blah blah to blah blah and if you go there you're under level like that and they're telling you straight away you shouldn't go here like that and it's just kind of takes away some of the fun of like that and i mean they are fucking stupidly huge maps anyway but at the same time it's cool to sort of stumble into things you know i think it's kind of draws things back you know, 10 years ago even when you think of stuff like skyrim like even 12 years ago it's even that you know if people whinged about simplification in that game but what it still did quite well was let you wander and explore, you know, even if you weren't following objectives and you would just find things and your experience could be very different to someone else. And it's exciting. But you did get people who said, well, you know, I played it this way and I didn't really like it because I they paid for the story 
and it's very straightforward. The story is a bit bollocks overall when you just go for the mainline stories in in Skyrim. And yes, I've seen this. I saw the same with GTA Five. You know, where people are like, well, I followed the story only, blah blah blah. So it wasn't very good like that. It's the stuff in between, the curiosity that pushes you to go and look at things beyond that. You know, not just go, this is a game I must complete. You know, like that. And here's a bunch of checklists I must do. It's, yeah, I, I love that. That feels more pure as a game for me when you can just go and do stuff. You're not told everything and you learn and you learn and you learn. I, I found that with like, you know, my favorite games tend to be like that now. I think, um, you know, games we've mentioned like XCOM 2, you know, the things I didn't know about the game starting, you know, made it exciting and intimidating and there's still things now that I, I don't fully understand and yet that, that's probably what keeps it from being boring because I don't really want to go looking into it. I don't want to go looking at you know, strategy guides and videos and whatever to really get like the best way to play like that. And like Hitman's the same, you know, like that there's stuff in there that I love figuring stuff out still. I was just talking to you before we started this podcast about Metal Gear Solid Five. Hey, you know, a game I've put nearly 300 hours into now, you know, more than any other Metal Gear game because <laughs> I love just coming back to it and trying things out in the little side ops and stuff. You know, it's fun, you know, because the, the tools that you're given allow for that. You know, they allow you to sort of figure stuff out on your own with in a, a structure, you know, and Dredge is very much, you know, a small version of that. And I can see where that can annoy people now because being a small game and doing that, you kind of get punished more for it. If a big game did that, it'd be like hailed as like the best thing ever, blah, blah, blah. You, the, Witch, the Witcher is a great example there, you know, that where I think there's too much of that and it's, you know, great, you know, it's great story, whatever. It's too bloated and big and intimidating in a way that doesn't feel right. But then maybe that's just me with that game, like we were talking about. So it's, yeah, it's a fun thing with that. It, to see a game this small try that sort of scale, I think we talked about it actually with a few games you know, that have that sort of idea of, you know, I think smaller studios are getting that more and more, but they're sort of tapping into that era of you know, ambitious games that don't feel big now, but, you know, they, they, they remain favourites for a reason. Yeah, you know, you mentioning Skyrim, and my point of reference would be something like uh, Oblivion, where I remember... With that game, you know, when you get out of the sewers, I probably oh. didn't play the story for the first three hours that I got out yeah. of the sewers because you have that little indicator on your map that once you get close to a landmark, it pops up and then, oh, I'm going to go off on my own little adventure. And half of the oh, time, yeah. you know, those locations have their own narrative tied to them that have no implication on the greater narrative or the main objective of the story of Oblivion. It was, you know, you would find these scrolls and then they'd be tied to certain bodies that you'd find in a temple or ruins or something. And you're experiencing this little sort of microcosm of storytelling that ultimately is rewarding just because of the fact that, you know, you can go into certain environments and to a varying degree, you might have a different experience, even if, you know, of course, at the end of the day, if it has a story tied to it, it'll play out in the normal sense of, you know, you find this scroll, that scroll and so forth. But there were just enough variables that each time you would play through an area and then you talk to somebody else about it and they said, oh, well, I used this ability to go through this door earlier, which then made me traverse the entire environment yeah. differently. Or, you know, they brute force this section, which then made the back half of that even easier. 
And I found something similar with Dredge where I convinced one of my roommates to get it after uh, he'd watched me play it a little bit because it was like, again, doesn't front load the horror and it has that sort of core gameplay loop. And yeah. we both, you know, after we had done maybe the first two main objectives that you get or the first two missions rather, um, and then just like went off in random directions for, you <laughs> know, an hour or two and then talked about it. And, you know, even though we went to two of the same areas at one point, you know, we both took different routes. And that is, I think, one of the special things about this game and how organic and ever evolving the world is, is that, you know, if I go one way and then he goes the other way to get to the same location, we're going to have drastically different stories about our journey there. And that could be the result of the time of day in which we're traveling, where each of us is at with specific upgrades and everything. And, you know, that was an aspect of anecdotal storytelling that ultimately I find to be more rewarding and more fun to talk about than a specific narrative that the game produces where it's like, okay, this is the reason for these events. These are the relationships between these characters, because ultimately, you know, I find that the stories that you are making just through playing the game with the mechanics that are presented from, you know, minute one ultimately end up being often more uh, humorous at times, especially if one of us decides to fuck off in the middle of the night and just kind of (laughs) willy nilly explore and everything. Um, but we're going to take just a quick break. And when we come back, I'd love to chat a little bit more about this game's bestiary and the way in which it handles upgrades and the, you know, the boat itself and the traversal of the archipelago, but more on that in a moment. And we are back from our break. And as I said, you know, I was really taken with the bestiary for this game so much that I, Mm -hmm. you know, wrote about it for my column um, because I was impressed not only by the size of it, because I believe there's, it's described as 125 denizens of the sea. And mm-hmm. that probably includes some of the creatures you'll come across that you can't uh, catch and sell. Uh, that mm-hmm. being some of the, you know, sort of almost megalodon in size uh, creatures that definitely have the more Cthulhu influence of this yeah. game. But, you know, more importantly, what I was really, really impressed with, and it's mostly from an artistic standpoint is the fact that each of these fish that you can catch during the day or at night, you know, has a mutation. And the mutation itself, it's not necessarily like more difficult to catch. I suppose if you're factoring in the risk reward of going out at night, it is. But like the mini game you play to catch things does not change greatly throughout the game, right? That's not really a source of difficulty. Um, Once you kind of master catching fish within the first 20 minutes, you should be able to, you know, not have a great deal of issues the further in the game you get. But, you know, I was really impressed with the fact they were able to recycle fish or just different wildlife, but they're able to make it more interesting with the more risk that you're willing to take. Um, Because, you know, the first time that I went out at night and then went to a familiar fishing ground and they do a great job of sort of highlighting the areas that could be different at night because there's this sort of uh, ethereal almost uh, color palette. It kind of looks like the Northern Lights almost over yes. certain fishing pods that highlight, oh, hey, there's something maybe mystical over there. And then the first time you catch one of these mutations, you're kind of like, holy shit, what is this all about? <laughs> and that makes the mechanic of the fishing, I think, even more exciting the further you get in the game because it's kind of like, okay, I've mastered fishing during the daytime. And that's a big part of it, right? Is that certain fish are only available during the day or at night or... When you go out at night, you have the chance of finding one of these mutations. 
And I thought that was a really ingenious way to take a game that ultimately there's probably 20 hours, I'll say roughly of gameplay, right? I thought that was a really ingenious way to use this sort of medium sized world and to make it ever evolving, but not make it feel like it is, I suppose, you know, artificially recycling things in a way that's not as notable, right? Maybe yeah. if it was the same thing where it's like you go out at night and the mini game gets more difficult, that would be one thing. But I like the fact that they didn't add this artificial difficulty and it was more just about the excitement of, oh, what the hell am I going to find this time when I go out? Mm. Am I going to push out to this area at night just on the whim of maybe there'll be something different? And then, of course, the monetary rewards that come with that. Yeah. It's, you know, when I first got into it, you know, playing it, it was, you know, I knew there was obviously going to be something, you know, horror-esque and that was part of the ideal. I didn't really think that would be where it would come from at first, you know, and yeah. you know, especially as you get those first sort of few things, the normal fish, and then you have that very scripted moment of the first sort of fucked up fish, and then <laughs> finding out, yeah, hey, we like fucked up fish. If you find more of those, great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, and like that, and yeah, just like you said, the little descriptions of them and what they're like, and you know, you've seen that note, I suppose, of um, you know, developers describing the process of creating them, saying they were just coming up with the craziest adjectives to describe these messed up fish. So it's like, yeah, that's I, I can see that absolutely, like that. and yeah, it does bring it into a place where, especially with the smaller ones, it's like as you were saying earlier, you know, the ocean is so deep and mysterious that you know these things could exist just as easily as the normal fish and. That's fine, and you know, that's brilliant. What's brilliant about it? So while they feel odd and strange, like they, you could see how people could be used to them, yeah. and but okay, like that. But that constant insinuation, that, like they're wrong for a reason. You know, there must be a reason they're this wrong. Why are they like that? And what what's causing it? Like again, just another one of those little threads that the game is making you pull. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, by incentivizing you to go get them as well you know for more money that will help you go further and do whatever it's yeah straight away becomes another sort of part of the game where you want to know more about them and you are kind of forced to you know to really make any progress with other things you want to know and i was a fan of the fact that not only is it rewarding from the sense of like you have a better mastery of the way in which the sort of archipelago ecology system out there operates, mm. right? And you start to master that. But ultimately, you know, this is where the boat and the upgrading of it and the buying new rods and reels and lights and all these different upgrades, you know, comes into play because I believe there's seven different types of water depths, if you will, that like certain fish will be at because early yeah. on, you know, you just need the basics. You need a basic pole, you need a basic reel and you can fish it generally within that cove. But then of course, the more that you explore and the farther you venture out, you need to have better equipment that can not only, you know, handle bigger fish or heavier fish, but you know, the depths with which those fish typically reside within. And so that was sort of a nice pacing. Again, I keep coming back to that, how well this game is paced in a way that doesn't feel overbearing and like handholding or tutorials and these things. It's kind of like, okay, if you're going to go out and make these sort of risks of I'm going to go out at night or I'm going to go further to the degree that it might be a little tricky to get back to a port so I don't get smashed up after I have this, you know, 
this big catch of mine for a given run, you know, that is almost creating your own little sub objectives or submissions where it's like, okay, I want to be able to catch these types of fish that I know are going to be in that section of the map. And I think that early on, like that kind of takes on almost a little bit sort of of a, uh, almost like a survival horror aspect where it's like typically, you know, you are running through this building in a typical survival horror game. And it's like, you come Mm -hmm. across three doors, you need a specific key. And that's almost what those fishing sort of areas resemble in that, you know, early on, if I get ahead of myself and I want to go out to the far reaches of this bay, all of a sudden I come across this crop of where the fish are and I can't reach it because I don't have that piece of equipment. So I make Mm -hmm. a mental note of, okay, I'll circle back here or I'll go and I'll farm these very basic fish until I can afford that reel or that line that I need to basically access that new crop of the bestiary. And that really just builds and builds in a way that's, you know, incredibly rewarding. And again, I keep coming back to this fact that I don't feel that this game has the overbearing nature of a lot of games that try to straddle this line of being, you know, pursuing exploration in a way that feels organic while having some semblance of a narrative. And with this game, again, you know, Dredge, it just, there's such a relaxing sort of feel to the game, which comes yeah. from the fact that you set your own objectives a majority of the time of what you're going to prioritize. And some of them have nothing to do with the townsfolk that you meet or the missions that they give you at times or the specific fish they want you to find. Mm. And I found more often than not, you know, I said there's probably 15 or 20 hours of content. There might even be more than that, again, because of the fact that, you know, you're going to set your own objectives. And yeah, the player really does dictate how difficult of a time they're going to have because of what they've been prioritizing previously. I mean, you have a day counter, I believe, for how many days you've been playing in this day-night cycle. And, you know, mine is quite high, and I bet I have barely done, I don't know, like half of the missions that are given to you because of the fact that I've been creating my own narrative, essentially, Mm. of like going out and these anecdotes of venturing too far or I find this abandoned outpost and I want to learn more about that. And... It does what I love of a lot of, again, old school RPGs where you'll come across an area that's inaccessible to you early on when you find it. But later on, you might come across materials or equipment or you'll have the, you know, the wealth with which you need to buy certain equipment that then all of a sudden this thing that you found three hours ago just becomes this new landmark that's now accessible. And that I find to be incredibly rewarding. The same degree in a survival horror game when you finally come across that key And you get that jolt of excitement of, oh, I can go unlock those six doors that have been a pain in my ass for the last hour type of thing. Um, And to have that be in a a fishing, farming simulator type game, um, I thought was, again, just a really brilliant blending of the gameplay style and those horror sensibilities. Yeah, yeah, I think to something we've discussed a lot on Horror Bites about the games that kind of do the old mundane work thing and make the the repetitiveness of that work as part of the mechanic and you know i think that's here as well I think, again it's been a criticism of the game that you know it is very much one note you're doing this this and this and that's it and again i get that but that is also the point you know it's like you know, that's your job this is what you do like that if it varied too greatly you'd not be in the game you, you want it to be you know it would end up being a completely different experience and at that point yeah it might as well be an assassin's creed if you're going to land doing the boat stuff as well like that for all intents and purposes but you know 
I think it really does just capture that small thing we've seen with the, the mundane work uh, ritual and like then breaking that cycle slightly with these permutations that we get as the game grows. And like you said, growing those little adventures you can get by just testing the waters, you know, as you will, and like getting those little anecdotes, sort of things like that, like going places you're not supposed to and having stories of surviving them or, or not surviving them you know, as it goes. I think there was one which, like, it was very, probably one of the more um, eldritch areas, you know, in the game. Like that, and, it, you know, full of very vicious fish, like that, that chase you a lot. Like that, and Christ, I, once I knew I was out of my death there, I keep doing puns on <laughs> realising it like that. But, yeah, you are, I was just trying to navigate my way, and it was all very, like, small areas, and you get lost in it very easily, and it was a nightmare, you know, I, and, but I escaped it and it was just a really tense thing to go through because, you know, the color scheme of it, you know, all the aggressive creatures that are there and just, like I said, these tight corners that, you know, if you don't steer around them properly, you would just basically smash it up to bits before you've ever eaten. Yep. Like that. And yeah, it was just suddenly everything that was already serene and cautious became highly intense, highly, pressurized and yeah it was a, a wonderful moment to escape it and suddenly the the cold darkness of the the wider ocean just felt like nothing for a short while like but yeah it did end up feeling like you know frying pan fire sort of situation where like yeah you go out there and now you're kind of fucked because you're nowhere near anywhere safe and like it's dark and you know because you got caught up in doing all that stuff oh it's i love that because it does let you play with the rules in that sense where you have these, you know, you know that if you're out after dark, you know, you've got to have the right equipment for it. And even then you've got to make sure you don't do this, this and this. And like, but a situation can end up putting you in that regardless, you know? And I like that, you know, the personal fast that you get where you are just, I know what I'm doing. You know, I can do this fine. And then suddenly you find yourself navigating small stone mazes full of fucking bitey fish that <laughs> tear your boat to pieces uh, and yeah, the clock's running ever closer to midnight and yeah they're great they're great moments you know, and you know, for anyone with a fear of the ocean it's um, sweat inducing to say the least it certainly is but I think that the fact that this is a larger environment than I was anticipating to be able to have the freedom with which you have as the player, you know, mm. there is a good amount of intimacy still between the archipelagos and the land masses. So typically like you get into this routine of, okay, I'm going to go explore this area or this section of the map, which is the more eldritch sections. But at the same time, you start to formulate these backup plans based on the location of where you're exploring. Mm. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to go out there, I can stop at this dock. I can rest. I can go out at the crack of dawn have the most time to explore. But then if I have to kind of bug out, let's say there's something there that I'm not prepared for, you start to formulate these escape plans almost, which again speaks to the idea of the intimacy of the archipelago sections in the islands where it's like, okay, you have these land masses that, you know, at times you're only getting there by the skin of your teeth, but it's nice to be exploring such a wide open environment that I never necessarily felt like, oh, I'm in no man's land. You know what I mean? Like sometimes when you get these games that have maps that are as extravagant as, you know, a Far Cry or an Assassin's Creed, 
there are certain sections of them where it feels like a no man's land of the wilderness or the desert or something where there aren't any yeah. real landmarks that are building that are, I suppose, uh, set up so that you could take shelter there in a way that it's yeah. like, okay, I have to go 10 minutes this way to find something. And there's definitely some big sections of dredge that you have to traverse before you find a landmark. But I found more often than not, the placement of things was so well, you know, orchestrated that I had these escape, multiple escape routes if I needed to. And, yeah. you know, oftentimes I ended up smashing into a rock and then that blows out my engine. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. I have to like, just kind of trudge along to getting there and inevitably, you know, would get there by the skin of my teeth or sadly would lose my haul for the day. Um, but I think that comes back to sort of just the upgrades in general and the fact that you're building your boat's abilities in the same way, almost like an RPG character. That's kind of like yeah. my basis for this. Well, almost like survival horror. Again, sure. you know, what, what we just described is like save rooms, you know, like, knowing the strategy, knowing the layout of the mansion in Resident Evil is to know where the safe rooms are and where you could do that and you can find the right equipment so you can upgrade your inventory and take you to areas that were previously inaccessible. So yeah, it's very much, as much as an RP, it's an RPG in some ways, I think it has a lot more in common with the survival horror genre in terms of its structure. Absolutely. And I think that it's nice to have more abilities unlocked when you follow mm. the trajectory of the story missions. Mm. But at the same time, again, in the same in a survival horror fashion, you know, you really get to dictate what skills you want to hone and harness or place a priority on what you want to. You know, I think yeah. that's the nice thing about the upgrade system is that you create your own sort of daily log of objectives because you say, okay, I want to increase my hull capacity so I can fit more fish, more equipment in there. So I'm going to go try and dredge up these pieces of refined metal. Yeah. Or perhaps I want to, you know, mess around with um, a bigger sort of pool of the different types of lines that I can have or rods I can have. So I'm going to focus on that upgrade or nets or yeah. these things. And it's just this ever evolving sort of system with upgrading the boat. But at the same time, again, it's nice to give the player the freedom to prioritize what they want to. Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, I could see this game having issues if at any point it sort of says like, you have to do this because the mm. game opens up with all that freedom. And it was nice to see with this game that for a majority of it, that freedom is never really hindered. Mm. You know, it might take you longer to get to certain points or to be able to comfortably explore some of the more eldritch sections of the game. But at the same time, you know, you never felt like the hand is sort of clamping you at one point and being like, you have to do this. If you don't prioritize this, there's no point of progression, kind of. Yeah, you, um, you can cheese it to a point in certain areas. It, you can wing things. Like, you know, when I go back to what I was saying about going to the wrong area and getting out, was, you know, I was well underprepared to go there. It was just like, I want to see how far I could go. I that got there, and yet yeah, I was still not at the place I should be. And I learned that lesson very quickly, did not return to that place for quite some time after that because yeah, I knew what was expected of me. But even with that limitation, I was able to survive it enough to get out. Yeah, and that is the good thing about it. And I think something that could have been very tricky is with the fact that you can just you know, have to start again, you know, when you um get crashed or eaten or whatever, is that you could end up stuck in an area. That would be it. You'd just be like, how the fuck am I getting out of here sort of thing? 
because you know I, it's x amount of time to this place and i don't know my way back through here and that it, i think everything's just about right where you can kind of find a way back you know there may be you may lose out on some stuff as a result but the punishment isn't really too severe you know like that but on the other hand like i said you can potentially still get out of a bad situation that you are underqualified for you know and i like that flexibility you know it again goes back to that whole survival horror thing of oh shit i used up all my bullets um how am i gonna get through the next two sections i need to do and it's like you can it's doable yeah. you just made the job harder that's all <laughs> that's all it is it's like nothing is impossible it's just very very difficult yeah, and I think that's the best way to put it in that, you know, it doesn't completely impede your progression, but mm-hmm. you have made your job a hell of a lot harder. And if anything, it's better to learn that lesson early on because then that dictates how you're going to progress for the rest of the game. It's like, okay, yeah. you learn that really difficult lesson. Hey, I'm not going to fuck around with tentacle creatures within the first three hours of the game because of the fact that then you're risking out on losing your catch of the day, which then sets you back a certain amount. And then it's harder to get that upgrade that then allows you to traverse that area that you, you know, so clearly want to. Um, I guess in kind of wrapping up, I'm most curious, what do you think about the narrative that is there? You know, we've talked a lot about the mm. anecdotal nature of this game. And there is actually a narrative and there's characters that you meet and different townsfolk that are tied to certain areas that you can, you know, port at for the night to upgrade your ship or to yeah. sleep until, you know, the, the sun comes back up. What did you think, though, about the narrative that is tying all of these things together in Dredge. Yeah, I mean, I said it at the top of the show, you know, where we have this very Lovecraft idea of cosmic horror, you know, which normally means bad things you know, in terms of like, if you want to be authentically Lovecraft, you know, you have to put in certain things that don't need to be there really otherwise. But here it's just taking the basic idea and I don't know, taking, I suppose, the Stuart Gordon approach to cosmic horror where it's like yeah we understand who the big name is in this but we don't have to do it like that you know like that we could still evoke that the best aspects of it and i think this is a game that does that by having you know these characters who have just enough mystery they feel underdeveloped in some ways but they do enough i think to sort of add their own little individual bits to the story you're being told and, you know, when you sort of get into the actual you know, end game story, the idea of what this game is all about, again, it, it gives you the right uh, reward, I suppose, for pulling at that thread. You know, it's like whatever choice you make, and yes, it is choice at the end of the day when it comes down to it, you're not told there's a choice. Um, it is basically something that comes up naturally and you won't realize maybe on the first playthrough. But the best thing about that is either way, there's consequences for what you do and you know, stuff that you, you, know, you are poking a hornet's nest of some kind, if you will. And this is it. You, know, you are, however you poke at it is what, you know, what kind of fucked up monsters come out of it. You know? And yeah, it, it really does just reward that with proper cosmic horror consequences either way and I, I like that about it i mean you could say there's a bit of a cop out in in one sense with one of the endings that reveals more than the other but i think 
I think the structure of it works. Yeah, I think we've said this before. It's much like with anything horror or any story structure. You can go back to old ideas. You know that. Oh yeah. Okay. This is predictable. It's not really about that. It's about how you get there and having you involved in it with video, in video games makes that much more important. You know, I think that it goes back to what I said in the beginning. You know, having that thing that pushes you to be curious, pushes you to keep trying to delve into a story you don't really want to know the answer to it when you really think about it, but you need to, you know, you, you grow that obsession and the, the characters that you meet are the flavor for that. You know, they really build the world outside your singular obsession, if you will, you know, like stuff that, you know, they, they add to it you know, in a way that's um, quite smart for a game. That is, you know, this humble in size, you know, really, when you think about it, it's, got a lot of character without really you know, it's it's not doing you know, whole, you know Oscar worthy performances with full motion capture and CGI like that it's just having the right characters around you to make a story work yeah, and really make the world at large of the story work yeah, and that, that's fine and in many ways that's what the best games do they feel more like a novel structure in that characters that aren't the characters we care about there in the background to sort of be pulled in and out to add to the world, make it more compelling, make it feel bigger than it is. And, you know, Dredge has that. Yeah, I think that what I was most a fan of is that the stories that you are becoming a part of in which, you know, you interact with these various townsfolk and everything, they never get as grandiose as Again, talking about the restraint with which the horror aspects of this game are used, you're not saving the archipelago with every single mission, right? It's not yeah. as grandiose. Most of the time it's, hey, I lost something or I need this type of fish or, you know, some of the conflicts that do arise from certain missions, they are connected to characters that live in this area. And it's very sort of like domestic issues a majority yeah. of the time. But if anything, that plays to the charm of the fact that this is this maritime world and these people are separated by, you know, the ominous nature of the ocean. And that in and of itself makes very simplistic problems more challenging to varying degrees. And I yeah. think that that is the best inclusion of the area itself, while at the same time not sort of artificially creating issues that change the overall sort of pace of the game, if you will. Like, for instance, there's a mission early on when you have these two brothers that are fighting and one of them has a family crest or had a family crest and lost it. Yeah. And you have to retrieve it and bring it back to one of them. So they can basically then reunite with one another. And, it, you know, that was a great example, I thought, of something that is not fundamentally rewriting the sort of trajectory with which I play this game. And then I go out mm. and I explore. It doesn't introduce mechanics that then never show up again. It doesn't create these stakes that all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, this is artificially more difficult because it's tied to this objective or yeah. something along those lines. It just felt very natural that these issues came up and the things you're being asked are not these great stretches from what you're doing a majority of the time with dredge, right? It's that mm. you're exploring and you're dredging for these different items and equipment and these things. That's it. And I found that that was a great sort of way to stop the game from ever feeling I suppose, overly cinematic, if you will. Um, it kind of just feels like, yeah, you're stumbling upon these missions that 
you can either choose to do or you can keep going the trajectory with which you're doing, which is, you know, prioritizing whatever, you know, the multitude of things that we've kind of mentioned that people could be doing um, in terms of setting their own sort of daily agenda, if you will. And ultimately, I would seek out these different ports and characters, even if, you know, I had my own objectives going on, just because it got to further showcase the art style of this game, which I absolutely yeah. love. I love that sort of almost dancing between cell shaded and sort of paper mache almost um, in yeah. terms of just the way in which those portraits pop up for characters. Cause like you said, they don't have voiceovers. Um, they don't have animations. It's kind of like you get this pop-up of either an environment or um, you know, certain characters that you're meeting. And that just adds furthermore to just the, the charm of this game, which is very, you know, quaint at times, but at the same time, it can turn on you very quickly if you get a little too passive, I think, in the way yeah. in which you uh, traverse the world. Yeah, yeah, it's simplicity you know, with detail. It's you know, the visual style doesn't go for great detail and like the wider things, but it's little incidental details in it that make it, you know, like that. Not, you know, there's not a brush stroke wasted i suppose is the best way to put it everything informs something you know like that and when most of it's ocean you know that's ocean you don't need to be told any more than that so when you see anything that isn't you know it's all the more impactful because you're not having too much busy work going on screen you know at the time you know i i think i don't want to bring it back to that but you know i think of those assassin's creed boat things where you know it feels very big very ocean like that but there's so much you know, detail in the surf and all these little points of interest that are coming up as you do it it's too much in a way your eyes being drawn away from what you're looking at it's everything is drawn to where you should be looking like that and yet still managing to feel like the unknown is there too because like because the detail is so simple that when you get those details come up it still ends up being you know, quite unnerving because there's still so much not being explained so much you don't know don't see because uh they, they don't have to worry about animating every single fucking thing in the ocean uh, which is great yeah it's like you know that you don't have to have the depths and searching them so it gives that illusion of the, the ocean perfectly you know because I think we've discussed it before, you know, sometimes limitations lend better to what horror is good at. You know, when you can have the unknown and the nothingness and, you know, I think movies do have this problem sometimes in modern age as well. You know, the more you can explain things with, you know, digital you know, technology and stuff like that, the less interesting it becomes because you don't have the limitations. You don't have those things that, exist those things that aren't explained you know and that's necessary i think if you're going to have truly great sort of horror experiences you you want a bit of the unknown you want unanswered questions you know even when you get your resolutions in one way you want something that is unexplainable you know and especially when you're going cosmic horror you know, like that the whole point is unexplainable even to the point where we are now with cosmic horror where it's just you know, it has been stapled to a name at this point so yeah i think this is a fine example of that that you can use such a simplistic visual style and that's not doing it down that's not condescending it really is simple in the best way yeah i think it's a great way of using that 
to play to your strengths as, as a an experience. And I think that the lack of refined detail for a majority of the exploration portions of the game, it not only highlights or allows the major landmarks that sort of start to pop, start to pop up, um, yeah. you know, they really allows them to pop in a way that, you know, a landmark should if you're stumbling upon it. And, you know, ultimately, when you get into those areas where, you know, whether it's at night or just, you know, going into the more uh, horror regions of this game, it allows those anomalies to, you know, be these major sort of landmarks in and of themselves, I suppose, where it's like they're unignorable. And the fact that when you do start to see something that is a little bit different than the normal, which is basically, yeah. you know, you see these pools uh, I mentioned earlier of like, oh, you can go fish here, a landmark there. But when you start to see things come up from the depths of the ocean in yeah. more detail, they are notable and they are terror inducing in a way that, you know, when they come up and they're unexpected, it is yeah. genuinely terrifying in a way that, you know, really does capitalize on the unknowing nature of the ocean. And the fact that the game doesn't shove those moments down your throat, I think really does make this game have some genuinely terrifying moments. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, we don't typically talk about with when we're talking about horror games. Like we rarely talk about, well, this this was the scariest game or this moment really stood out because of how terror inducing it was. But like when you are left to your own devices to explore for a majority of an experience and you're not constantly being bombarded with anomalies and these things, when they yeah. do make their presence known, it's in a big way and it is very notable. And, yeah. you know, you start to be fearful of whether it's for uh, your boat safety or just the catch of the day safety, um, which I think is the perfect way to approach and blend horror with something that from a gameplay standpoint, is very easily approachable and digestible for a majority of gamers. But then when you lean into the more horror aspects that are integral to or inherent to the setting, uh, it just makes for a magical sort of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, experience that I think it's uh, no wonder why, you know, Dredge has been getting as much acclaim as it's been getting. And if anything, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it at a later point in the year when we start to think about, you know, the year in terms of horror uh, yeah. games and whatnot. But yeah, um, that was Dredge in our chat on the continued terrifying depths of the ocean, something that I don't think you and I are ever going to, uh, you know, become any more comfortable with. And if things, games such as Dredge uh, are any indication, you know, I think developers are tapping into that aquatic theme in yeah. new and exciting ways that are, uh, you know, more approachable than first person deep sea games that we've played in the past and whatnot. Yeah, you know, and fuck those games in the nicest <laughs> way possible because uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that's pushing into a personal fear a bit too much <laughs> a lot of the time <laughs> oh i'm sure we have plenty of other aquatic horrors in our future knowing our uh, our tendency yeah. to you know go into those realms that maybe uh, touch a little too close to home with some of our uh, own personal phobias and whatnot it's the that, that curiosity all over again that curiosity will always get the best of us. Uh, but yeah, as uh, as always, it is a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Back at you. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. As always, our main episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase show, drop every Thursday. 
You can feel free to follow our Horror Bites Twitter account at HorrorBites underscore SR. Feel free to join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.